One chance, one life, one take. Hello and welcome to Dead Funny, Dead Serious. This is the 30 End of Life Doulas in 30 Days series. My name is Mitzi, I'm the host, and today our End of Life Doula is Tracy Walker. Hi, Tracy. Hi, Mitzi. Thank you for having me. Oh my gosh. Thank you for being here. Tracy is coming to us from Southwest Michigan, if I can speak, and your business is Let It Be End of Life Planning. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Let's dive in. Why did you become an end of life doula? Well, uh, the short answer is pretty succinct. I believe death is the meaning of life. So my longer answer involves growing up with a lot of religion and a lot of religion going back to what happens when you die. So I grew up in that, in a lot of Western religion, and then got into not knowing that I was trying to figure out what is the meaning of life, uh, existentially being a kid or a teenager, you know, but, but that really led to it. And I started exploring uh, death and thanatology and not really knowing. I got into medicine and I couldn't decide between animal and human medicine. So I kind of did both, kind of, you know, straddled that, that fence. And it's still, it stuck with me. What is the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? And I found myself wanting to go to the cradle of man and to Africa and go to those places where the oldest humanoid, you know, fossils were found. And, and I did, and I went there and I did some medical work and I studied chimps and uh, I came back and I, was like, wow, I don't want to spend all of this time in, in an institution, in education. So I started doing what I now call uh, my yes journey. And I used medicine as my fallback and I bounced around and I was a race car driver and I opened a couple of restaurants with my two best friends. And I worked on uh, a zoning commission and built some buildings and areas, you know, where I live and, but always went back to medicine, uh, human and animal. And I found myself uh, working with more of an aging population. And a couple of years ago, five years ago or so, was working specifically in a hospital with the acute care for the elderly, the ACE ward, and found that there were a lot of times where communication was needed, whether it was between the patients and the other medical staff or between family members or social workers or hospice. And that really got me thinking. So I went into, uh, well, how can I help these people? I don't want to be a social worker. And I was volunteering for hospice. And then I went to work for a women's clinic and uh, wasn't working as closely with people who were facing death on a more regular basis, um, but at a clinic where we were performing abortions. So without realizing it, I became an abortion doula and then just started, you know, thinking, what do I want to do? Where do I want to go? And I, you know, just went to the internet on my fingertips and started looking at different careers in death care and thanatology. And then death doula popped up, you know, went and looked at the history of how 
death care has been industrialized uh, in the United States versus other cultures and countries uh, and what we could do. And there have been death doulas forever that may not be what it's called or what we were called in those cultures, but there have been people in our communities who've helped each other give birth and, and die. And so I've just gravitated back toward that um, in taking all of these wonderful tools and pieces of my yes journey and being able to use those. So that's how I got here. Did your yes journey take you from med- were you doing yes when it, someone said, Hey, do you want to drive race cars? And you said, yes. Mm-hmm. Part of your, and then a restaurant yeah. and you said, yes, you, it was, you were living your own yeah. yes man movie. Yeah, pretty much. And I am not an educator by education. And I said yes. And I ended up teaching nursing for 10 years uh, and loved it. So that's kind of, you know, parlayed into where I am uh, with helping to train death doulas as well. So it's just been fantastic. Absolutely. Education is a huge piece of this. Yes. Yes. I, you know, I think that we are all as death doulas, midwives, end of life doulas, whatever um, feels right for you to call yourself, wherever we are in death care, um, that we're educators and we're activists. Absolutely. I think death care is activism 100%. And then I want to touch back real quick on Mm -hmm. when you're working in ACE unit, you said um, there was a space where conversation was needed. Mm-hmm. Was that conversation around death and dying? Is that what you were finding with the older adults and the staff and the families? You know, what it was uh, were the tangible things, the aspects. I would get patients saying to me uh, everything from when you see my daughter, make sure you let her know that the good china is hidden in the basement under the box spring mattress or you know, uh, let the nurse know that I, I don't like, uh, getting my pain meds at this time, or I don't like this kind of food. Or when my son comes around, make sure to tell him to do this and this and this with my dog, or I didn't, don't have my living will, or I'm changing my DNR wishes. So there were those types of communicative things that, come up when somebody is facing their mortality with the, you know, death being the meaning of life and those things that you're thinking of. So I, a lot of times happened to be the person in the room. And so I found myself, you know, kind of stalking or waiting and trying to see, you know, um, when, when their caregiver or their guardians or their loved ones showed up or left notes you know, to make sure, which is out of the realm of a nurse or a caregiver or provider in a hospital situation. Uh, But I was really, I was uh, finding myself in those situations a lot and not a lot of other people were, you know, I was asking my colleagues, they're like, nope, that doesn't happen to me. So it was a universal wake up call energy. It happened very naturally, very organically. We have some things in common. I actually mm. was witnessing some of that. That's how I became a family therapist. And okay. I was also told to be a social worker because you get more access because uh, family therapists can't bill for Medicare because, because of that. Social workers are the ones that can work for hospice and, and no one else can yeah. because of some legal witchery. Yes. There. <laughs> yes. 
yeah, that's how that piece comes in, right? And how we can support autonomy at end of life, Mm -hmm. mental decline and physical decline. So you, I mean, you took that path, the yes path Mm -hmm. to get to, I'm an end of life doula. Yeah. And you took some trainings. May we ask what trainings you took at that time? Oh, absolutely. I did a lot of smaller things first. I was dipping my toe in and, you know, I would do a webinar here and a webinar there. Uh, I went down the YouTube rabbit hole. Uh, I looked into thanatology, which is just fascinating. Um, in when I get on the morbid anatomy website, it's all over. Like I'm done for the evening. Um, cause I just, it's so interesting, but I went through my formal training, uh, with Elua Arthur at going with grace, uh, in 2018. And I was in her first round of training for end of life doulas, uh, and then subsequently came back three or four rounds uh, to be a mentor or a student guide for her with other students, which is a program that is has continued and is implemented. Uh, and then last year, I formally came on as the program director of Going With Grace. So now I have the fun time and the privilege and the honor of working with Elua uh, and getting back to education and helping to uh, write curriculum and train death doulas and be involved in a totally different way uh, that really fulfills that educator side of me that I loved so much that, you know, I'm in contact with, with students um, and training. And we have seen a rise uh, in uh, people who want to attend trainings. We cap our training because we want to make sure that Elua can spend the time that she needs with the students, which is fantastic. But I would say only about 50% of the individuals who come through the training at Going With Grace are doing it for a professional endeavor. I'd say about half of them uh, click that little box that is personal uh, because they've experienced a death or there has been a stimulating or an event that germinated this, or there has been something that brought them to find death care and end of life training. And they, maybe they want to do it to help their community uh, their family or just be better prepared themselves. So um, my training with going with grace, uh, part of the reason why I chose it um, is because I felt very drawn to Elua. Um, she's a very grounded energy, you know, individual energy force field individual. What I did then is what we tell people now when someone says, hey, what training should I do? Follow your heart. This is heart-centered work. So it is so important that whatever program you choose, that it fit all your criteria, that it's a length of time that's manageable for you. There's a commitment that's manageable. It's a financial management for you, but that you also feel connected to the founder of the program or the instructors or the support system that you're going to have. And, you know, look at their social media, look at their website, look at what their, you know, what their people do, because that's who you're going to be around. And there are so many wonderful trainings that it, you know, we just say, follow your heart. And I feel like that's what I did. And 
it has opened up to so many wonderful opportunities for me in death care. So, yeah. Fantastic. The, I'm loving that statistic that 50% mm-hmm. are doing this professionally and 50% are doing it for their family. Cause I'm going all the way back to the beginning when you said, you know, you dipped your toe into the history of yeah. end of life doulas. They've been around for forever. Mm-hmm. And it was part of your community. It was somebody in your community and these people that are training to simply do this on a personal level and to be that person that is trusted in their circle is Mm -hmm. that answer. And, and we need professionals for the family systems that do not have that access and somebody Mm -hmm. in their system that is not doing this, but that's really heartwarming (laughs) in a way to hear that 50% are just doing this to do it. I did it just to do it, but on a different kind of professional wave, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we have uh, all different kinds of people who do take the training. And it's just a testament to what brings us to death care and what brings us all here to be that type of a person that will hold the space. So, and, uh, you know, I realized that I have been doing death care even when I wasn't in medicine throughout my life. Uh, and then when I did start doing, um, death doula uh, because I am a lesbian, uh, the members of my queer community were coming to me, my friends, acquaintances. And so that happened very organically where, um, again, it just was a natural progression of people started coming to me uh, to help with the medical system, because I do have a medical background while, you know, doulas are non-medical holistic support. I do know the medical system where I live and in the surrounding counties. And so I could easily navigate or connect people. And I think that I'm a really good connector. And if an unmarried gay couple was looking to secure X, Y, and Z for their end of life wishes, I could help them with that. Or if somebody was farther along in a hospital situation, what do we need to do to make sure that the person they love can facilitate their end of life wishes? Um, You know, all of those things uh, down to making sure that for um, end of life celebrations, your correct pronouns are used. Uh, because that can be a minefield depending on where you live because there are no federal regulations. It goes, it goes to state and it goes County and then, you know, municipalities and towns and, you know, in some places you can bury your gram in the backyard if you want to, if you have the right permit and in other States don't even think about it. So everything is different because we don't have any federal regulations. So I got uh, really versed um, within the, queer community and what we needed to know uh, here where I live. So that also happened um, very naturally, which was fantastic um, because there's a lot of um, support that our elder queer family needs uh, because we're two times more likely to need that type of care because we live alone. We are four times less likely Um, than uh, a heteronormative person, uh, we don't have children a lot of times. It takes a little more work. (laughs) So so a lot of times that's how that family unit works. And 
the younger persons in the family take care of the elders. And when you're looking at a specific, you know, section of individuals that don't necessarily have that already in their system, then what happens? And so a lot of LGBTQIA individuals end up being caregivers as well for, you know, the elders in their community, which is fantastic. And so I've naturally found myself in that place too, which, you know, warms my heart. Would you say that you help with the paperwork on yes. that level as well? Yeah. Excellent. What kind of paperwork would be useful in those settings? Uh, you know, it depends on where you live, uh, with, it's pretty much the same. <laughs> it's pretty much the same. I mean, as long as you have those things in order, um, you know, with your, um, power of attorney, your um, healthcare proxy, your medical proxy. Um, if you have your DNR, your pulsed, your visa orders, if you have those things in order and in some areas you need to have them notarized or witnessed, or you need to file them with probate court. Once it gets to a certain level, you do need to engage an attorney uh, to make sure that you have a trust depending and there are different forms that you may need, depending on what you want done with your body for body disposition. Um, there are specific forms uh, that you need to have on file, um, depending on where you are. If you um, are a trans individual for pronoun usage, if, especially if you have family members or your legal next of kin is somebody who has not been supportive of your life or you, um, then that's absolutely paramount that you make sure that you research what you need in your county or your state to ensure that your family, chosen family or biological family, you know, honors your wishes so that just by default, somebody legally can't step in. And that happens, you know, in, in all kinds of situations um, where you might have estranged family members who come in upon a death. Um, it doesn't happen only in the queer community, but it that's where I see it happen the most often. These are the spaces where having your paperwork done to allow your family of choice Yes. That proxy is really important. And so I'm going to put in my two cents here that anyone that's listening to these episodes and is working in the end of life field needs to understand this, needs to understand that we need to be advocates for folks and plant the seeds that we're open to having this conversation out into, in the public, into your circle and the other circles, right? The, what is yes. that? Concentric circles. <laughs> <laughs> right. To get that out there, so so everyone knows that this is a conversation that you're safe having, that yeah, there's knowledge out there that people want to help in that situation because family of choice is just so dang important. In these settings. Yeah. Yes, and in my side, I I'm uncertain if using the term elder orphans that comes up for us mm -hmm. often, and making sure that you have all your paperwork right in order. <laughs> It's such a taboo subject. You know, we have those taboo subjects, especially over here with our Western culture. I mean, you know, it's politics, it's sex, it's death, um, it's religion, it's abortion. 
so, hey, I mean, I'm, I got the queer thing covered. I got abortion covered but it, because I work with uh, abortion doula services with a women's clinic um, and doing death. So there, there are also ways to kind of help if somebody's not comfortable talking about death. There are little ways you can kind of sneak stuff in. Um, I like talking about music a lot and asking people, uh, you know, what would you, what song do you have to play? Do you want played at your celebration of life or your funeral, your memorial, whatever you want to call it, your party, whatever, you know, or do you have a playlist? They're seeing lots of playlists. Um, if you just search for like, you know, funeral playlists, you'll find a lot of them, which is so cool. One of my favorite things, especially when we have new classes start, is to ask students, you know, what would be your song um, that your one song and then make a playlist for everybody. Um, that has everyone's song in it. Um, and, you know, the death deck is great too. Those have, you know, wonderful questions. A lot of them get a lot more existential. Um, but, you know, there are also things that are not part of the traditional, you know, five forms you need to fill out before you die. Um, like, what are all your passwords? What do you want done with your pets? If you have two sets of glasses in your cabinet, we need to know which one came from Great Aunt Beulah that means something to you and which ones you got at the dollar store that you just <laughs> use for parties. You know, so those types of things are, you know, just going through and taking pictures. It's so easy now digitally, you know, and saying, you know, oh, let's tag this for this person or make a document. I do a lot of that. So it's definitely much easier to document everything nowadays, but it's not as easy to emotionally do it. So having somebody like you around to help with that process, we do have to put that on people's radar that mm -hmm. this is possible, that there is support out there so you can get these goals accomplished. And, and yeah. And most often when I tell someone what I do in a situation or when I meet someone, you know, when the question comes up, there's that, okay, do I have the energy to talk about this right now? <laughs> or do I just kind of let it go? Or do I say, I'm in education, or I'm in healthcare, or I work for myself? Inevitably, I say, oh, I'm a death doula. <gasps> what is that what I think it is? Or what is that? Or I've never heard of it. And you explain. And it's more than likely a, oh my gosh, I wish I would have had you when. My father, brother, mother, sister, aunt, uncle, community member died. And then it's such a wonderful open door that happens because people share the most beautiful stories. And I love asking about somebody's loved one. It's that, you know, adage that it's okay if you say their name or ask about them. It's not like you're reminding us of them and we'd forgotten. I, it's important to say the names of people who have died and ask those questions and continue that legacy. And when you tell someone you're a death doula, that door opens and that trust is almost immediate and implied and you get to hear these beautiful stories and pass along, a, you know, some advice. Oh, what do I do if, and what, what's the one tip you need to give me? So that I like too. So I think, you know, that I'm educating one social interaction at a time uh, when we can get back out there and socially interact. But it's, um, it's, it's a, 
little bit of just a little piece of education every day. It is. I even this this morning I went to Trader Joe's and the guy said, "What are you doing today?" And I said, "I'm doing a podcast, interviewing someone." And he was like, "Wow, uh, what are what's the interview about?" And then he was like, "Oh, maybe I shouldn't ask." I'm like, "Well, I'll tell you, but you probably won't." <laughs> and I said, "I'm interviewing death doulas." And he's like, "What?" He like lean in. He's like, "What?" And I said, "I'm interviewing a death doula, like an end of life doula." And he was like, whoa, <laughs> and started laughing. I love it. And he was like, that is so interesting. And that was our conversation. But like, you did ask. I didn't just tell you yep. that. You know, going back to the people that say, oh, I, I wish I had known you when. I even mm-hmm. wish I had done the death little training earlier. Yeah. Right? For all the other deaths. Mm-hmm. You know, you learn something. And so the more we can get that out there, this is part of service. And yeah. showing that it's really just helping people across the board, even though it's brand new and you have to educate everybody. Tracy, we went really far. You went far. Yes. We've covered a lot, Mitzi, a lot. So much. And yet, so we talked a little bit about challenges, but do you have any mm-hmm. other challenges being an end-of-life doula? Big and small. I just try to take them in bite sizes. Um, I'd say the biggest challenge is is education. Truly, overall, because the more people that know about this, the closer we come to putting ourselves out of a job, which uh, sounds asinine. uh, But for death care to get back to where it was with our family and community and having home funerals and being able to celebrate and honor our dead according to our custom and tradition um, versus how in how commercialized and consumerized funerals have become in the United States and how expensive it is. Um, when I, I, I'm in it all the time, so I know that I have blinders on, but that pendulum is swinging back. I'm seeing more home funerals and I'm seeing less embalming and I'm seeing more green burial and oh, what a topic and oh, recompose. I love it. And green burial is such a broad umbrella of a, of a term because that can mean so many different things. It can mean acclimation. It can be, you know, recomposing. Uh, it can be, you know, scattering, um, well, not quite ashes, but it's, it can mean all kinds of different things, you know, bury me at the base of a tree. So even that is exciting. So a big challenge for me is, is focusing um, because, you know, you're doing 30 doulas in 30 days and we're all different because it's such a broad category. Death is huge. So there are so many areas. So education for me is a challenge. Uh, And in my abortion doula services, I work very closely with the women's clinic here. Um, And that's mainly how I get those clients and by referrals. Hanging my shingle as an abortion doula, that's also not something you don't know what you don't know you know, someone who's going to be having an abortion doesn't necessarily know that, that they need it or that they want it or 
don't even think of it. You know, somebody who is dying of you name it, they don't necessarily know that there's a death do list, you know, out there for them because they don't know it exists. So the biggest challenge uh, is getting that education out there. And then anything else is just small bite-sized pieces. I'll just deal with it as it comes. Do you think there's too much competition between end-of-life doulas at this point? No. I know what's out there. Um, I am also on the board of NIDA, the National End-of-Life Doula. I see doulas working together. I see even different training programs, different doulas. We're aware of each other. We're in all the, we're the same groups and the same webinars, and we are educating and helping and supporting and lifting each other. There's obviously competition, definitely, in, but there is anywhere. You know, I mean, you can't expect to be the only hairdresser in a city. You can't expect to be the only restaurant. You can't expect to be the only mechanic. So yeah, you're going to have competition uh, for clients, but I don't think that it's, I don't think that it's negative or nasty, but I haven't seen a lot of that. So that's good. I think we're just as a whole, just supportive and, you know, you, you can't be in this work and not be a compassionate, helpful, you know, individual, um, you know, most of the people who are end of life doulas are what Enneagram twos, you know, we're the helpers and we're the caregivers and that's what we do. So I don't see a lot of, you know, divisiveness. I don't, I don't see a lot of that, which is good. Which is good. I'm hoping with that question and I love your answer because I was hoping with that question that anyone that's thinking about becoming an end of life doula and they're thinking, Oh, there's so many end of life doulas now, especially yeah. if you see the trainings and there's a lot of trainings and there's a lot mm-hmm. of people on these trainings. Everyone is so different. I hope everyone, if they're hearing, this is the first episode they're hearing that they listen to all of them because it takes every single different kind. And it was part of the reason I, I did this is that I have a handful of end of life doulas here in Seattle that I know and care about as humans. And they are all so different. And the reason I got to know them is so if my client needs an end of life doula, one of my clients, that I can refer them to multiple people and they can find one that fits mm-hmm. for them. And they are all different and they all are good for all of my clients in different ways. And yeah, so the competition, I'm hoping that it just doesn't scare anyone away from doing the work mm-hmm. if they're drawn to this, continue working at it because you're needed. <laughs> yeah. And everybody, you know, the specialists are specialists for a reason. And there are definitely ways where you can specialize in being a death doula. I have a couple of different areas. You know, I, I work within the queer community. I do um, Swedish death cleaning. I work in abortion doula services. I also do pet bereavement and paperwork. Yay, paperwork, which not a lot of doulas like. I particularly don't work with children. That's just not an area where I feel as comfortable. And I know many doulas who are fantastic and wonderful at that. So why would I try to do that when when they can do it better? Um and we act as, you know, mediators and liaisons and counselors a little bit, but, you know, I, we deal with grief on a regular basis, but I am, I am not trained 
in grief counseling. So my line stops very early on at a certain point, and I will refer that out to somebody else who will give the care that is needed. So heck yeah, look at the trainings, do the stuff. The National End of Life Dual Alliance, like I mentioned, they have a whole area that lists out trainers or training programs. So if you want, instead of just Googling and boom, 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 seeing what populates up first, you can go there and get a really great cross section um, of organizations who do trainings. And um, it is a membership organization. So there are no alliances or affiliations with places other than, hey, if you're a member, here's the code of conduct, here's our scope of practice. And, you know, let us help <laughs> let everybody know what a death doula does. So that's a really great place to look for training programs as well. Thank you for that resource. Mm hmm. We'll also link that in the show notes because I think that's important to have Excellent. all of it listed. And I'm glad they did it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that I'm not thinking I should do that because it's right. a lot of work and I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. So final question, what are your hopes for the end of life doula field? I hope I get to go out of business because mm -hmm. so many people do this and I've kind of, um, co-opted that answer from Elua, but that's one of the reasons why we work so well together. I feel exactly that way. She says that a lot too. The best thing that could happen to us is if we went out of business, because that means that death doulas are everywhere and you can't turn around without finding one and they're back to ministering within the communities. And I would, I would love to see that. I appreciate you for doing this. It's an undertaking. <laughs> it was just fun. I got to talk to nice people like you. Good. Yeah. Oh, no. What am I doing? What yes. am I doing here? <laughs> I hope everyone enjoyed it. Uh, so, again, thank you, Tracy. All of your information will be in the show notes below. Thanks. And all of the listeners, thank you for listening. And uh, mm -hmm. please, please, please leave a review. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, leave a review and subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify, like, subscribe, share, do all of those things. And then hop on over and follow us on Instagram and TikTok. You can also find Tracy over here on TikTok, uh, the Death Doula <laughs> Diva. Her and I are challenging each other on how many followers we have. So yeah, I think I have 17, 17 followers for 10 videos. I think you're beating me. So I mean, <laughs> whoever wants to jump on there and help the challenge, that'd be great. Uh, and <laughs> and that is it for today and we will see you in the next episode